Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Gary Jennings, Keep Florida Fishing Director at ASA. As the name pretty clearly says, Gary's job is to keep Florida fishing, and he's done a great job of helping to make that happen over the years as he's been with ASA. Gary describes his background, the formation of Keep Florida Fishing, and we dive into a timely and important topic, which is the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. The sanctuary covers all the waters surrounding the Florida Keys, but as we discuss, its management is pretty complicated. There's a lot of interest in the marine resources around the Florida Keys, and similarly, a lot of threats and pressures on them. To help better conserve and restore these resources, while also improving visitor experiences, the sanctuary has undergone a lengthy review of its management plan, zoning plan, and regulations. That review is called the Restoration Blueprint for the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary, and Gary has been heavily involved in its development to advocate for a balanced approach to conservation and access. It's not over yet, but we're in a good place at the moment. Gary walks us through all this in greater detail. While talking about a draft management plan for the Florida Keys isn't quite as fun as actually fishing in the Florida Keys, you can't have one without the other, and this is a good example of why it's so important as an industry that we have a program like Keep Florida Fishing and staff like Gary who are engaged in the boring, messy management stuff to make sure that those fishing opportunities stay available. So let's dive into the interview. All right. I'm pleased to have with me on this episode of the Politics of Fish podcast, Mr. Gary Jennings, who's our Keep Florida Fishing director at ASA, and Gary is coming to us live from Florida so welcome, Gary. Uh, appreciate you being on. I guess to kick things off, maybe uh, talk a little bit more about yourself, your background, um, and also um, for those who may not be familiar, uh, you came on as we were creating Keep Florida Fishing. So maybe talk some about that initiative we've got at ASA too. Sure. Um, I've been, I guess, what you would call in the professional fishing world where I was actually getting paid to do things involved with fishing for almost 25 years now. And I've got kind of a diverse background that includes, you know, conservation, um, media, and manufacturing. And manufacturing, I worked at Hell's Bay Boat Works as a general manager. I bought my Hell's Bay back in 2001. And at, at the time, it was the, the most innovative flats boat on the market. And uh, I later had the opportunity to work at the factory um, and uh, learned a lot doing that. And from a media standpoint, I was the publisher of Fly Fishing and Saltwaters magazine for 11 years. And it allowed me the opportunity to, to learn a lot about the business end of fishing. And it afforded me the opportunity to fish all over the world. I was also uh, elected at that time as the vice chair of AFTA, which is the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. And it's similar to ASA, but on a much um, smaller scale. In the conservation world, I worked for CCA Florida, Coastal Conservation Association Florida, and I'm now the director of ASA's Keep Florida Fishing Initiative, which has the goal of making sure that Floridians and those visiting the state have clean waters, abundant fisheries, and access to both. And that kind of came about seven years ago. Dave Pfeiffer, who was the, uh, I believe his title was CEO of Shimano America, and he was the chairman of ASA at the time, was concerned that certain groups were targeting Florida waters in the same manner you know, that they did in California, where they effectively closed about 20% of the coastline to, to angling. And 
Florida is a, a big state and uh, it's difficult for ASA located up in Alexandria to have a, a strong and consistent present, presence at meetings where the decisions were being made that can impact our members. So my position was created. And then additionally, they brought on a Southeast uh, policy director position uh, that was created to oversee policy decisions uh, in both the Gulf uh, and South Atlantic regions. So in my current role, I'm involved in attending FWC, uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission meetings and giving public comment on ASA's behalf and kind of acting as a liaison between uh, FWC and ASA. And I'm also on uh, FWC's Aquatic Plant Management Technical Advisory Group. Um, I was recently appointed uh, by Governor DeSantis as a commissioner representing Florida on the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. I'm a stakeholder on the uh, University of Florida, uh, Florida Department of Environmental Protection, Coral Reef Fishing Stakeholders Group. I've been doing that for lots of years. And uh, I'm a member of the uh, NOAA Derelict Fishing Gear Stakeholders Group. And I'm also a member of the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary uh, Advisory Council as a recreational fishing alternate. That's, well, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's a big nutshell. Well, uh, <laughs> and that last topic sort of segues us into the topic of the day. But uh, yeah, before that, I mean, your experience wearing a lot of different hats, uh, I think, translated well to the role you play with Keep Florida Fishing, where you're doing a lot of um, policy work, but conservation work, uh, outreach, media, member relations. I don't think we ask you to do any manufacturing. So I don't know that that, uh, <laughs> that Hell's Bay boat work manufacturing experience translates well, but it certainly helps you better understand the industry and what everyone's going through uh, in terms of our membership. But um, yeah, you certainly have plenty on your plate and a lot to keep up with in a, a big state uh, geographically, as well as for the fishing industry. I mean, it's the, the fishing estate in the country, more economic activity in Florida related to fishing than any other states. So um, yeah, I think that vision to create this Keep Florida Fishing Initiative and protect all the incredible resources down there um, for opportunities for anglers to enjoy is, is critical because um, if we lose Florida. We're, we're losing a lot. So can't, can't let that happen. But um, so far you haven't let that happen since you've been, been with us for about seven years and we'd seem to be trending in a good positive direction. So hopefully we can continue to keep Florida fishing, but let's move into the Florida Keys sanctuary, which as you mentioned, is one of the advisory committees that you participate in and, um, Something, you know, even predating you, there's always been issues with Florida Keys Sanctuary. Um, it's sort of a unique management regime that I think will be a, a good topic for us to cover. Not just, you know, general information, but also the timeliness of this, given the management plan review that's going through um, currently. So, um, Gary, if you could just uh, explain a little bit about the, the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary Um the, the region and how important fishing is there, but also this interesting management regime where you've got a sanctuary this close um, and overlapping with so many other jurisdictions, as well as an area where so much fishing takes place. That definitely makes it challenging for sure. The, the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary encompasses about 3,800 square miles. It's a hub for both recreational angling, including charter and guided fishing. Uh, along with commercial fishing. It's got a huge commercial fishery also. Um, you know, and, and as you mentioned, 
Um, Florida is known as the cap, you know, fishing capital of the world, and the Keys definitely play a huge role in that title. Um, the sanctuary is managed by NOAA's Marine Sanctuary staff, uh, and then it receives input from the Sanctuary Advisory Council, and that's the the council that I have a, a seat on. And I've been attending that the sanctuary meetings for a number of years and, and was finally able to uh, have a seat at the actual table, you know, right about when COVID started. But it gives our, our members a, a, a little added extra voice if, if they have concerns and, um, you know, we can, we can keep our eye on things. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a confluence of a lot of different, I mean, again, it's an important area. There's a lot of fishing, incredible fisheries resources there, but you've got, you know, on the Southern tip of Florida, you've got the Gulf of Mexico Fishery Management Council on one side, the Atlantic, South Atlantic Fishery Management Council on the other. You've got Florida and FWC with obviously state jurisdiction. You've got Everglades National Park. You've got some wildlife refuges. I mean, it's just, and then you got this sanctuary overlaid on top of it. It's huge. And um, like you said, there's so many different jurisdictions there that the you know the sanctuary advisory council is made up of a really diverse group of, of volunteer members and so you've we've got people from the boating industry uh, we've got citizens at large we've got conservation and environmental groups we've got the dive industry uh, we've got education and outreach um, I already mentioned mentioned fishing so you've got recreational you've got charter you've got guides you've got marine life folks, and then commercial. Uh, You've got research and monitoring, uh, submerged cultural resources, people, tourism, and you've got multiple government agencies, including, you know, local and county, uh, municipal, state. So that's, um, you know, FWC and uh, FDEP, which is Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Then federal, you've got NOAA, NOAA law enforcement, you've got the Coast Guard, you've got the Navy, and uh, they, all these different groups show up at these meetings. And so um, it, it's, it's got a broad coverage of stakeholder interest groups covered. Yeah. And it's you know, important to have all those there, but it also highlights the complexity and how much, yeah. um, how much interest and uh, pressure there is in this region from a variety of different um, government, non-government, you know, recreation activities, commercial activities. Exactly. So trying to get everybody on the same page is a challenge, but I think that's part of the goal of having this advisory council and, yes. um, and the sanctuary in general. And I guess just to take a step back for folks that are less aware of what a sanctuary is, because um, terminology is important here. I think a lot of times people hear sanctuary and they just assume that's some sort of closed area, marine reserve, wilderness area where you can't recreate. And what we're talking about, and as you mentioned, it's a program within NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I think there's somewhere like 14 or 15 sanctuaries across the country. Each one's unique in terms of like what its purpose is. Some are more far far offshore, really just to um, prohibit oil and gas development. A lot of them are around shipwrecks, uh, so a very site-specific type of thing. But Florida Keys is probably the most unique and complicated just because, as we're talking here, it's just there's a lot going on and it's, it's so close to so much human activity and so many other jurisdictions that it's a lot to, to wrap your arms around. But I know that's something that the advisory council and really sanctuary staff and others down there are working on. And, and maybe that leads us into talking about this restoration blueprint, which is sort of a, an updated management plan for the future of how this region's going to be 
exactly. managed and regulated. And uh, there's more than just regulations in here. But but Gary, can you talk about the that document, sort of the build up to it, and um, what are some of the the key areas that we're we're focused on? Sure. So you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the on the head with the hammer there. The, the blueprint is basically an update uh, to the management plan for the sanctuary, which was formed, you know, 30 plus years ago. So it, it looks at changes that have occurred since the inception of the sanctuary and tries to come up with ways to address them. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it can be tough because this is a place that is you know, kind of being loved to death by people who come to see the beautiful water and fish and reefs. And those those uh, entities are being challenged, you know, with water quality issues and stony coral tissue disease and increased boating and fishing pressure, along with, you know, climate issues. So they, they try to address those the best they can uh, while still um, you know, allowing access because they don't want to put a big fence up around it. And I, I think that that's one of the misconceptions that people have about sanctuaries. And you, as you mentioned, there's various different kinds of sanctuaries, but the Florida Keys uh, is near a major metropolitan area being Miami, and it gets a lot of visitors from uh, all over the world. So um, what we try to do in focusing on the blueprint is look at it from a 10,000 foot view. And we, we focused on allowing reasonable access while still trying to protect the environment. And areas that we, you know, focused on, obviously, are going to include water quality, education, and law enforcement. I think those are the big three issues that I hear at every single um, sanctuary advisory, advisory council meeting that I go to. Um, you know, we, we need to improve on those three things. But we also push for responsible access and historical uses. Um, such as allowing for pollen troll into wildlife management areas instead of closing them off altogether. You know, that's kind of a reasonable compromise instead of closing an area to allow people, um, you know, to, to pull into an area and still have access to fishing. Uh, implementation of more artificial reefs. Um, we, we would like to see that addressed to, to help reduce stress on natural bottom while also adding additional habitat. And then we want the sanctuary to recognize that FWC, uh, the Gulf of Mexico and South Atlantic Fisheries Management Councils are the controlling agencies for fisheries management. That's what their job is. Um, and we worked with a, a variety of other groups um, to, to kind of put our thoughts together to have a cohesive message uh, and, and those included the Lower Keys uh, Guides Association, the Florida Keys Guides Association, Bonefish Tarpon Trust. Um, and, you know, that's Kelly Ralston, who I used to work with, um, you know, and, and it's fun to still be able to work with her on on issues. Um, and and those guides, those organizations are much more knowledgeable in the details of each proposed change. So we kind of uh, have focused on on the 10,000 foot policy issues and we're letting those groups that are that have the specific knowledge to uh, kind of dial down into into the minutia and and it's been it's been relatively successful we think that the uh, the sanctuary has has listened well well and even the 10,000 level I mean you rattled off 
those key areas. And it's a lot, and even that's yeah. just sort of scratching the surface of what we're focusing on, which again, highlights the complexity of this area. And um, I, I guess as you've been in, so involved in this, Gary, and uh, active in sort of how this is all shaped, what's your perspective on this balance that we're always trying to strike at ASA? And I think, um, you know, people view it differently, but this balance between conservation and access, and it's not an inherent like either or, either you're going to conserve it or you're going to allow people to go out and recreate. Like yeah. in, in our minds, there's those are generally compatible things that you can still conserve and ensure that resources are healthy, but the public, especially for recreational sure. fishing, can still enjoy it. But but on the what we often see is sort of this oversimplified, hey, um, you know, we've got coral reefs dying off. Let's create a no fishing zone. And that'll, yeah. you know, we'll, let's just hope and pray that that fixes it when it doesn't actually address the underlying problems. How much are you seeing more of like a nuanced, uh, let's be thoughtful about, you know, targeting what's the the real problem, what's the threat to the resources, and what's the best solution versus kind of the oversimplified, let's just draw some lines on the map and, and ban people from going there and, and hope for the best. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because with the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary in this last uh, iteration of the blueprint, and they, they had sent out one previously uh, that had basically four areas to comment on for, for each specific thing. And one of those being, this is what we're proposing. Um, they actually listened to the comments of the stakeholders and, and made what generally we feel is a, is a good, honest attempt to, to find compromise in, in those areas. Um, as opposed to some other groups uh, that I'm involved with, um, for instance, the Sefkri region, which is the Southeast Coral Reef Initiative running from Stewart down to Key Biscayne, uh, there, there seems to be a larger group there that would be very happy to close 20 to 30 percent of, of that area to, to fishing. So I, I think that there's a there's a, a conservation minded group which wants to uh, sustainably use um, resources um, and, and wants to be able to take their kids there and their grandkids and, and still sustainably use uh, the resource. And then there's environmentalists who um, sometimes want to close off an area to all use and say, uh, you can look through the fence, but you're not allowed to go in there and enjoy it. So um, I, I think initially a lot of people were very afraid that the uh, Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary was um, opting towards the latter, which was, you know, putting up a fence. Uh, but I think that generally speaking, we, we were um, pleased with um, how, they, how they listen and are approaching this particular restoration blueprint. So um, that's a positive. Yeah, that is encouraging to hear. Well, where are we in the process? It's not a done deal yet. I know you were at a, a council meeting earlier this week. Um, mm -hmm. so what's the stage? Are we near the finish line? We still got well, a ways to go. How we, close we, is it to being final? We can see the finish line. Um, and, and I was joking with Sarah Fangman uh, yesterday before we left, uh, you know, hey, we're, we're getting close. I, and, you know, a comment was made, you know, hey, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I said, hopefully that's not the train coming. Um, but uh, it, it, it seems like we're headed in the right direction. There's still some time to give public comment. Uh, it is open until October 26th, which is right around the corner. If people want to make public comment, they still can. Um, after that, um, the 
some of the um, partner organizations, meaning the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission from Florida, uh, the Gulf of Mexico and South Atlantic uh, um, councils uh, will put in their comments. Uh, those will be reviewed uh, and then it will be sent uh, to the state legislature and uh, Governor DeSantis. And um, so they're thinking it's going to kind of wrap up um, beginning of 2023. Um, but time will tell. This has been a long, drawn out process. They've been working on it for many, many years since, you know, before I started uh, attending these meetings seven years ago. So it's uh, it's a long, drawn out process, but we, we're getting close. Well, I'm tempted to dive more into that Um that it has to go through the legislature and the governors. That's part of the uniqueness of how this was created and mm -hmm. the state's role in uh, ultimately having essentially veto power of making sure things don't go off the rails. But anyway, that's just me wanting to nerd out on uh, bureaucratic uh, well, processes. You know, let's, let's nerd out just a little bit. I mean, we're very, very fortunate that one of uh, the commissioners for the FWC, uh, Commissioner Spotswood, is lives in... Key West and is, is a conch. He's been there forever and understands well the need to protect areas, but also allow access. And so we've we've got a, a great ally there that um, um, is looking after, you know, mostly the same interests that we have, which is great. So it, think, things have been moving along and, and, you know, obviously there's always some disagreements over who gets to do what and who controls what, but um, he's been a, a force uh, to, to make sure that fisheries management is handled by the people that are supposed to handle fisheries management. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Yeah, it's definitely a good level of involvement and ultimately backstop to have to know that, um, you know, folks high up in the, the state commission governor's office, can have some right. say um, in all this. So um, yeah. it's not just the feds coming in and dictating how this is all going to go because it's a, a federal Absolutely. sanctuary that yeah. the, the state does have some involvement too. Absolutely. And FWC will be giving, you know, their recommendation to the governor's office. So uh, it, it's great. It, it, it works. And, um, you know, we, we think it, it'll be a good plan. Well, that's great. Well, um, and yeah, again, for folks that are interested, we got a few more days here, October 26th to get comments in. There's all sorts of information out there. Um, I know at ASA, we're, we're working on getting comments in, not just from us, but uh, collectively getting other groups um, to weigh in. It's sort of that yeah. 10,000 foot level you were talking about, Gary, but uh, obviously you've had your hands pretty deep in this for a while, um, helping to shape this and um, appreciate all the work you've done. I know it's a, been a challenging and frustrating and tedious process and certainly not over yet. And yeah, hopefully that train's not, not what's staring us down, but um, you know, compared to those fears that you talked about uh, early on of where this might end up going and all the fences going up and uh, no fishing zones and all that, it's been a much more productive and ultimately I think more positive on the resource itself um, to have more you know, adaptive, thoughtful management in place instead of sort of the, the blanket regulations that people aren't bought into and, ultimately probably aren't going to be all that effective in helping to restore resources anyway. So glad to see that this is heading in a positive direction. We'll need to stay on top of it and stay vigilant, but, um, but thanks for, for being on here and walking folks through all this and, um, and for all the work you do in, in Florida. So I got one more discussion. thing. If, oh yeah, if, please if do. Mind. Um, you know, one, one thing that I was impressed with was, you know, you were talking about all the different jurisdictions and what, you know, what can you do here and what can you do there? 
the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary actually came up with an app. Uh, it's the Marine Sanctuary Explorer. And they can, you know, our visitors can go to the app store and download it. It's free. And it shows maps of the sanctuary. And you can actually click on those areas. And it, it kind of tells you what's allowed to be done there. And um, it it's pretty cool. So uh, it's, it's got a wealth of information. And if people are curious, you know, aside from going to their website, you can you can pull up that Marine Sanctuary Explorer app and uh, take a look at it. If you're going to go boating down there, you know, there's cell coverage almost everywhere down there. Uh, if you're out on your boat, you can you can take a look at, at areas and know if you're allowed to anchor there or not and so on and so forth. Well, and even if you're not planning on going down there, it's it's always fun to dream. So get on there and yeah. play with maps. <laughs> yes, it is. And just plan in your head where where you might venture one day. So that's that's cool. Technology to the rescue. You well, thanks so much, Gary. Uh, really appreciate all the information. Thanks for, for thanks for being on, and and thanks for all that you do to um, protect fishing in Florida and protect fisheries resources down there. It's it's definitely helping out and uh, making a difference. So appreciate you being on. My, my pleasure. It feels good to be able to, to give back to the resource. It's given me so much um, joy in my life. Yep. Here, here. All right. Thanks, Gary. You bet. Take care. Thanks again to Gary for taking the time to share his insights with us. And if nothing else, getting us all to picture in our heads, fishing in the Florida Keys for a little bit. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. But in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.